Okay, the Puget Sound, three weeks ago, the radical writer had contacted me with a fault and brought me out of retirement for a new podcast idea. The whole thing seemed like a trap, but it always has been out in the cold too long. Hi, welcome back to the Social Justice War Room, the podcast where we deal with social justice and fiction, reality, and everything in between. I haven't been doing these lately on account of working full time, but the radical writer who appeared in one of the earlier episodes came to me with an idea for discussion that I just couldn't resist. So welcome back, radical writer. Uh, it's, it's good to be back. I was just thinking before, uh, the, uh, before we jumped on that the last time uh, I was on, uh, I, I believe this was uh, off recording, but uh, I was bringing up the fact that uh, coming up to my town was a whole uh, was like a whole bunch of far right truckers, and uh, oh boy, that sure became a, a thing. Yeah, that I'd like to say that things have settled down since then. I don't know in your particular area if they have. Certainly not. On a global I mean, scale, things have been cleared out, but there's still like people hanging around, and another uh, bunch with a biker aesthetic came through, Ugh. including one of them who's like a well-known Holocaust-denying live streamer. Oh, for fuck's sake! Ugh. Yeah. So, and you know, meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, the local police seems more concerned with uh, with uh, roughing up uh, 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 Catholic school students who are protesting the student dress code than the literal Nazis. That. Very much sounds like what law enforcement would do. Yeah. And this comes off of, as at the time of recording this yesterday, Biden gave a press release in my country about how states should start spending their unused COVID funds on more law enforcement as cases are surging again. Ugh. I'd say like this is, part of a master plan to like shore up the defenses of the elite as the many crises of virus and climate and inequality pile up. But really, I don't think Biden is bright enough for any solutions other than more cops. So yeah, I think I think that it's more accurate to say the dude's just like defaulting to his base political assumptions. Yes, Mr. Crime Bill would do that. So the crime bill, of course, coming out of the 90s, which brings us in a rather awkward segue to the topic of today's episode. You mentioned some stuff you wanted to say about the Image Comics founders. Uh, yes. So uh, basically, with the I actually wrote a, a blog post about this around the time it happened, but very recently, uh, the workers at Image Comics formed a union, and I should probably specify because I know there was a couple people early on who got a bit confused and thought, oh, so like everyone's uh, or uh, organizing is like, but because of the way uh, the Labor Relations Board in the States defines workers and stuff like like uh, like you know, anyone who's uh, heard about like uh, shitty stuff that's happened to like uh, artists and writers who work for the big comic publishers probably has heard that they aren't employees they're technically like contractors uh, so they don't get the same kind of benefits you know that's 
It's it's the same uh, reason why uh, actors and writers in Hollywood are in guilds. Meanwhile, like the people who you know run the cameras, do the sounds and lighting and all that are part of uh, a union. And what happened with Image is that everyone uh, everyone who helps run the actual like uh, publishing and stuff. So like uh, the marketing department, the people who help run the presses, basically like all uh, uh, all the people who help like run the actual image location uh, formed a union. And and uh, Image, while not nearly as bad as what we've seen with uh, companies like Amazon and Starbucks. Uh, they uh, did the bare minimum of uh, shitty corporation and uh, instead of recognizing the union right away, f- try to uh, f- uh, force a vote, basically, which is a thing a lot of companies will do because they know that sometimes if you, if they put it up to like a second vote, that gives them time to either uh, press on the uh, press on like uh, the workers to like uh, give them anti-union propaganda or just generally hope that they might lose their nerves somehow between uh, uh, between the announcement and the time of the vote. And uh, but unfortunately, uh, if there was any uh, uh, systemic attempt with an image to try and prevent that from happening, uh, it did not go through and the image uh, uh, the image workers union did go through. And we haven't heard much about them since, which seems to apply that unionizing did not destroy the company. Yeah. But yeah, I, I am definitely really excited to see if like uh, they can manage to spread uh, their branches outside of the one publisher. Like, like I, I can definitely say if they if they do like manage to try and like uh, like uh, do this for DC and Marvel, uh, shit's gonna get interesting. I hope so because, but I imagine be considering their size and the uh, general like uh, the fact that it was one union that didn't get as much uh, media attention as say like Amazon, that they're probably at least like giving it some time just so you know everything's in order before they try anything that ambitious if that's even something on their minds. Yeah, but if you look at like the initial demands of the union that they posted when they started, these are things like better overall product through the immediate addition of staff, improved career mobility, increased knowledge retention through the implementation of detailed record keeping and procedural documentation, which not only suggests that like these are very basic things image was lacking, but that this was a very poorly run production. And that's... Which, honestly, the, considering images like a uh, history of uh, back in the day of not putting out books on time, uh, that's uh, that, that's definitely a pretty like amusing thing. Although, sadly, uh, if anyone who's ever worked in like a lot of corporate environments knows that they're actually not very well run because, despite the claims, capitalism is not an inherently like uh, efficient system. Yeah, and the. There's a lot of mythologizing around the image comics creators in a way that's very American with like, oh, these successful comic artists who were tired of just working for the man, struck out on their own to produce their own company by their own rules. And the reality also seems very American in somewhat less flattering ways. Which is ironic because one of them is a Canadian. 
Yes, of course, the Todd, Todd McFarlane. And it's, it, it does seem like when you, I was going back and reading some interviews from these guys and watching some documentaries that were actually produced about them. And they, most of them, like Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld and Eric Larson, definitely come across as more than a little full of themselves and very much believing their own mythologizing about what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So if you look on YouTube, there's like two documentaries about this. There's Move Fast and Break Things by the Sci-Fi Channel, which is very- Which is sadly not about rioting. No, no, it's Break, Move, Oh, wait, that actual title is so much damage. Somehow that's even worse. And it, then there was the image revolution, which was substantially better made and a little bit more critical in that it pointed out how these, all these 20 year old cartoonists who really didn't have any idea of what they were doing long term when they ditched Marvel to do their own thing. But again, there is like this tendency to see them as pioneers for artistic freedom in the way that the American founding fathers were seen as like breaking away from the oppression of the king to start their own free nation when the reality was that they were already fairly elite and they created their own regime with their own exploitation. Obviously, it's not as bad because I don't think Todd McFarlane owns slaves. I'm going to need citation on this one. Uh, not as far as I, uh, as I could tell, which... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Like uh, bringing up the subject of comic book documentaries, uh, it's all I find the way the image founders are often presented. It's it's very similar to like the way if you've seen any like history of comic books or history of superheroes documentary that was made before uh, the death of Stan Lee, they always have Stan Lee there as an interview subject, and he's always talking about like his specific time at Marvel. You know, he never brings up what. Or sometimes he might bring up like what happened with like uh, Lee and Kirby, but like they really like skim over it, uh, skim over it and just sort of make it sound like it was a tragic parting of the ways and, you know, completely ignoring the fact that there was several like allegations of mistreatment for Marvel, which is admittedly a, a kind of like a fitting reference point when considered the reason why Image happened was because at the time this was happening, like this was when like Jack Kirby being screwed by Marvel was like an open secret within the industry, but within like comics fandom, it wasn't that widely known. It was, a, it was, it was still largely behind the scenes inside baseball, but the nineties was when it really started to come through because that's when law, uh, law of the lawsuits uh, started uh, against Marvel started to happen. And uh, Jack Kirby was like openly speaking about it at conventions and stuff. And you, and so like people had uh, become aware and the image artist uh, artists uh, saw uh, saw that 
oh hey uh, like jim lee uh, like saw that oh hey i do all these like covers for x-men and uh, but they get slapped onto a t-shirt and i don't get and i don't get any of the money that comes from all those t-shirt sales which considering this was the time when marvel was trying to be like a mini comics disney where it wasn't just making comics it was making all this other merchandise and and tv shows and movies and stuff like that that you know that means they were losing an even bigger cut of the money coming from the stuff they were working on than even past creators were and that's what uh, basically led to the start of of image comics they went so that they could have that full that's like a full like uh that full like a uh, cut of their work and with image that's more or less how it works if you make something for image you get you generally speaking get uh, the full uh, the full credit and uh, you get cut of old uh, old merchandising and uh, you know you are consulted on adaptations. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, like with Invincible, uh, the original artist for like the first couple of issues of Invincible uh, is actually like a, a producer on the Amazon Prime series, if I remember correctly. And uh, he left the project relatively early on uh, into its lifespan. And, and uh, uh, generally speaking, it did kind of improve things in the industry more generally. Like after that whole, inci uh, whole incident, like Marvel and DC, uh, whenever like new characters were created, they would do more to actually properly credit artists for their work and adaptations. And at least like give a bit more money as compensation, although not as direct. I'm not sure of the exact stipulations, but I know a lot of later creators like Grant Morrison, Jeff Johns get like a more of a cut of the pie than uh, than they would have like even a decade or two earlier than when they started. And but you know that still doesn't stop like uh, people from getting screwed over. Like there was a lot of discourse when the Hawkeye series came out on Disney Plus. And the artist for the Matt Fraction run on Hawkeye, run on Hawkeye, they, uh, came out uh, and said that Marvel was using uh, our, uh, like uh, advertising uh, advertising material and uh, publicity stills that were basically recreations of of his covers and panels that he had done, and he wasn't being compensated for any of it. Yeah. Also, this. The games that you can rightly credit to image within the industry, they sound like they go to people who were already closer to the top. Like no one is going to call Jeff Johns or Grant Morrison like just another one of the writers. They're they're five hundred pound gorillas within the industry. Oh yeah, like it's probably a lot more leveraging on their part as big creators. Uh, uh, like, like I imagine G. Willow Wilson is not getting like uh, is not getting much of a cut of that Miss Marvel series that's coming out later this year, for example. Right, and also you mentioned Robert Kirkman, who is credited a lot as like the base of the new Image Comics when they became uh sustained success rather than like a flash in the pan during the collector boom when they started relying more on mm -hmm. writers rather than artists who 
it do a bunch of belts and pouches, but couldn't stick to a deadline. But of course, Kirkman himself has some skeletons in his closet with the way he compensates those working for him. And it's it doesn't seem talked about very much because he's already got all this respect. Everyone loves The Walking Dead and how many doors it's opened for comics as a medium without mentioning that like the first Walking Dead artist, Tony Moore, who similar to Corey Walker was there for the first few issues and created the basic aesthetic for the book and left later, but was unlike Walker, pretty much frozen out after he left from any kind of compensation until he brought it to court. So. And uh, speaking of bringing things to court, uh, there's the fact that Todd McFarlane uh, in, uh, infamously, uh, uh, like uh, he had uh, Neil Gaiman come on uh, to do an issue of Spawn. And it was basically like showing like uh, how he made like uh, like some uh, specifically like it was like a medieval spawn, which was basically like a hell spawn who was a medieval knight. And uh, Todd McFarlane, you know, despite the fact that the rules image state, if you create a character for image and you get compensation for the usage of that character, uh, tried to screw freaking Neil Gaiman out of uh, being compensated by saying, oh, well, you know, you just did like a, a, de- a de- uh a, de- a derivative of uh, my character so like uh, uh you know like uh, you don't deserve anything uh, for yeah. it and uh and uh of course naturally like uh uh naturally uh, image comics fans and uh the, some of the other image founders like back this up there i know there's this one uh i know like uh, eric larson regularly takes a piss out of neil gaiman for you know being uh, upset that he's being screwed out of things that were promised for him which is uh very cool and good Eric. Yes. But I I, I mean, like, uh, like, especially considering the fact that that uh, I know for a fact, uh, like most of the characters in Savage Dragon, like uh, uh, in the early couple of issues, were originally going to be a part of an uh, (laughs) X-Force pitch that he was going to uh, do for Marvel before he decided to go uh, go and join it, uh, join this image thing. And he and basically, like uh, at least some of those characters could be considered at least somewhat derivative of uh, other existing Marvel characters, uh, to a degree or another. But and yeah. also, uh, but it most famously led to like a years long court case that uh, uh, that ended with uh, Neil Gaiman getting the rights to the character of Angela, uh, who, uh, who's like this demon angel that he sold to. Marvel. So if anyone is wondering why now all of a sudden, like in the last couple of years of Marvel Comics, now they have another realm to like the the all the realms in Thor comics that includes heaven and there's all these lady angels. Well, that's why. And I, I guess also that technically means Neil Gaiman uh, technically also led to us getting that one infamous Angela uh angela panel where that like evil demon or whatever like uh says something uh about uh un what, what was it uh un uh, un, uh unasked for uh, opinions on israel or something like that uh, well i don't think he could have per- perceived that coming and if i were in neil gaiman's position and i won back the rights to uh work for hire i 
character I created on a cheesy 90s superhero book. And then I probably would just sell it back to Marvel to spite Todd, too. Yeah. I, I know it's not exactly the most ethical thing, but under the circumstances, it seems like a hilarious way to rub it in. But, oh, yeah. It's just, it's just a delicious irony. Yeah. But the current state of image with guys like Robert Kirkman running with the older guard like Eric Larson basically just living off of their money as executives and founders and doing their comics without really expecting to see a profit, which I do respect on some level, Larson's drive to just keep doing Savage Dragon and keep being as weird as possible with it, no matter how much the rest of the world has moved on. But mm-hmm. all, but I mean, also, it, it definitely has that strong like a uh, webcomic energy of just like those ones that have just kept pushing on through the years. Yeah, and on some level, I do respect Todd for doing that with Spawn, but. Also, like, in the Image Revolution documentary, it describes how just how little these guys actually knew about the business they were breaking, how they ended up just, like, having to keep hiring on people at the last minute to fill the basic functions of comics production, how, like, once they started having their own work for hire artists, there was, like, some squabbling between guys like Todd and Mark Silvestri of Top Cow to get get hold on said artists for their own sub imprints and ultimately once the comics industry started cratering because of the speculator boom which should be familiar to anyone watching the cryptocurrency and specifically NFTs flattening after being touted as like the next big money-making scheme. I'll give Rob Liefeld comics this. They look a lot better than NFT apes. Rob Liefeld, I think he's still doing like a new NFT comic. I'm not sure oh, how it benefits from being about that. an oh. NFT. But it's still a similar print. It's still a speculation thing. Like with comics... Image was writing the collector boom and putting selling comics as like a hot collector's item to be worth thousands someday and releasing a bunch of different variants. And like the rest of the comics industry, trying to pretend that flooding a market with something is going to increase the collector demand for that which of course led to the big industry crash in the 90s that comics never really recovered from. And in the documentaries, they this is brought up because you kind of have to bring it up and they act like, oh, they were just going by what the market did. And also and, like ignoring the fact they accidentally helped kill Valiant Comics or the first version of Valiant Comics, I should say. Really? That- yeah, because uh, they did that intercompany crossover uh with uh, Valiant and uh, like it uh, very in line with uh, Image Comics at the time uh, the, it, because the idea was was that it would be a collaboration and like uh, the first I think the first two issues were done 
by artists and writers who worked at Valiant. And the other half would be like uh, image people. And uh, one of them was Rob Liefeld, who was so far behind on uh, the work he was supposed to contribute that uh, as the story goes, uh, I think it was, uh, oh, I don't know why I'm forgetting his name. He was the guy who was the head of Marvel in the 80s. Uh, Jim Shooter. Jim Shooter, yeah. Jim Shooter had to, fl- had to fly over to Rob Liefeld's house and like uh, act- and basically be there in the room with him to make sure that Rob actually finished, like uh, finally finished the paper, uh, the finally finished the pages he was promised to finish. And that was after being delayed for like well over a month. You will see this trend with Rob Liefeld a lot where he where all his projects seem to end in false starts and that that's another thing because like Rob Liefeld is still getting work no matter how many times he says something incredibly asinine on social media to burn his bridges no matter how late his projects are no matter how just bad his art is to the point where now like we all know his tricks with the belts the pouches the big guns the feet yes he he generally is infamous for not drawing feet but there was also that period in like the late 90s where he drew everyone with absolutely huge boots to overcompensate and this is also omnipresent such a joke that it's no longer novel to see it from him and his, it, all his actual storytelling and anatomy skills are basically frozen at where he was at age 19 when he was just starting out and somehow became the next big thing. But because he was there... Yeah, I'm kind of reminded of that Bojack Horseman point that says that uh, you're permanently stuck at whatever age you get rich at. Yeah, just... You see any interviews with him now, and he sounds like a total 40-year-old boy. But he was there at that moment in history. Like, his name is attached to the creation of Cable and Deadpool, even though it was uh, other writers who actually gave them any of the personality traits that made them endure. And... But because he was there, he seems to, like, always be guaranteed work. Like, there will always be a place for Rob Liefeld. He hasn't exactly failed upwards. Especially especially considering that some of his buddies now work high up positions in in a lot of those companies, like Jim Lee. Another case where, like, Lee, who... Lee ended up selling his imprint Wildstorm to DC and got a, like, cushy position in upper management and has done so for a long time, including through several scandals we found out about DC over the years, like having a repeat sexual harasser as the Superman editor instead of firing him, just like moving him to an office separate from the women. And I don't know what even if Jim Lee didn't do that, it's never clear what he knew what he could do, what he didn't do. And that just, and Leah's addressed like, oh yeah, it was fun being like a young rebel for a few years, but ultimately I'm, I, I'm glad I could buy my parents a retirement home. And that's fair, but it does speak to like 
all this lost promise of what image could have been and maybe what it still could be. Yeah, and uh, actually, uh, I found this out doing a little bit of research, but uh, when Heroes Reborn happened, where Marvel's like, okay, you know, uh, our Avengers and Fantastic Four books aren't doing well, so let's just have them be more or less rebooted with, like, Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld drawing their books. Uh, like, Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld were both heavily criticized at the time because people were like, dude, you guys, like, left a whole company because you thought these guys were a bunch of charlatans and now you're going back to back to them to make a quick buck yeah that's that's definitely another sticking point and i remember in one of the documentaries i think it was the sci-fi one mark silvestri comments on how like they were all big enough at marvel that even if the image thing backfired, they could just go back and get their jobs there, which is kind of true, is literally true, given what happened with Heroes Reborn, but also it doesn't, it puts a hold in the so-called adventure and risk of them striking out on their own. And it shows mm -hmm. just how much privilege they already had, even if they were in work for a hire, they still had so much commanding influence at the company. Like Todd McFarlane. Yeah, because they were the superstar. They were the superstar artists. They were they were getting pushed to uh, even to the detriment of other creators. You know, Chris Claremont basically got uh, frozen out at the end of his run on X Men because they were more focused on pushing Jim Lee. I, yeah, and some part of me will never be able to forgive that as a Claremont fan and how after working on the book for 16 consecutive years he was basically just filling in the word balloons at the end while Jim Lee would base basically took over the plot writing with other writers doing the script and you could tell that he is not really a writer a lot of his X-Men mm -hmm. books after Claire Claremont left basically basically just a bunch of things happen that look cool. I'm going to draw them. Maybe the guy doing the script will come up with a way to tie it all together. Say same with Rob Liefeld, who which is like kind of which is like uh which is like kind of like a, a perverted version of the Marvel method when you think about it. Yeah. It definitely is, and it's it, it does speak to how much influence they had as like some of the comics' first superstars who got like commercials of their own and got to hang out with celebrities in Hollywood, and also how much their egos grew. Like Todd McFarlane famously. After drawing Amazing Spider-Man, he basically got fed up with having to draw another writer's script and asked for his own book to write and draw, which would be the fourth ongoing Spider-Man book they had at the time. And here's the craziest part is he only stayed on there for like a year. And then there was an incident where they were crossing over with X-Force and editorial edited a panel he did with the juggernaut getting his eye stabbed out so it would look less gratuitous and that's what caused him to rage quit and it's often presented as like a 
straw that breaks the camel's back thing, but really like you're doing a comic that is read largely by children. And you already have pointed out that Juggernaut has a healing ability, so his eye just grew back the next panel anyway. Why was this the hill you wanted to quote unquote die on? Like uh, Todd's whole thing seems to be just that he'll do anything you tell him not to do. Yeah, like uh, it definitely kind of uh, has like a, a bit of that impulsive streak to him. And like, <laughs> And also just, uh, uh, there are also just uh, in general, a lot of the, uh, I mean, I can't speak for every single image founder. I know next to nothing about Waltz. Uh, for, uh, for, I, I can't say his last name. I keep well, Portacio is different. Portacio, because, that's like, it. I keep wanting to say pistachio and I know that's not right. He left like right at the end, right at the beginning. I mean, similar to how the Hulk is technically an Avenger, even though he rage quit in the second issue of the 60s comic. Wells had some family stuff come up that and he had to leave a managerial position, but he still kept drawing. And by all accounts, he actually seems to have like kept a degree of humility and personability that the other guys don't have yeah like I, I was just i was just about to say like uh, eric larson like part of what uh led to this podcast like uh, finally happening was there was like a bit where uh like the, the original tweet was like a couple of years old i think this was like uh, judging by like the image he had shared this would have been like 2014 2015 but uh basically he was like talking about how like uh, all the new Marvel he- uh, heroes sucked and like all their designs were bad and all their names were bad. Like I believe the line he said specifically was, uh, oh, if I have to look up your name in a, dic- uh, in a dictionary, a dictionary, that's a bad name, which is really fucking stupid considering you have like Marvel characters who are named Hyperion and he literally <laughs> named a character of his after the scientific uh, scientific name for a thorny devil lizard. Yeah, not exactly. Uh, people aren't exactly saying horridus in common conversation, Eric. Uh, and uh, the example he gave of like a badly, uh, a poorly designed like uh, character was the Kamala Khan Miss Marvel. And uh, when people are like, uh, okay, well, uh, why do you think that? Uh, think that, Eric. He just said, oh, well, you wouldn't understand. Uh, you know, I have my reasons, but you wouldn't understand if I tried explaining it to you, which is like real strong. You need a high IQ to understand Rick and Morty bullshit. And, and like that obviously started coming around again now that you know Miss Marvel's getting a uh, getting like a TV series and like a, a majority of the public still doesn't know what the fuck Savage Dragon is. I mean, not to say that making something popular it means that it's uh, it's inherently better. I don't want to make the Lily Orchard argument of well, Friends is better than all your favorite anime because uh, a Friends is more popular, but you know, like. <laughs> I think like uh, it kind of uh, speaks to like what resonates better with most people than what Eric Larson seems to think resonates with most people. It does certainly speak to this kind of aging rock star attitude they have where they used to be hip and with it, but to quote Grandpa Simpson, 
now what they're hip with isn't it and what's it is frightening and confusing to them yeah it's it's very comparable to like how snoop doggy dog doesn't approve of uh wap yes snoop doggy dog now in the company of ben shapiro but to when looking on all this and how not so much like the evils of capitalism, but just like kind of a really basic it, going with the flow and following the market, riding the wave, and then just getting pissy when the wave no is no longer at your back. Yeah. But also, I, I think at least with Larson, I think it might also just be kind of getting stuck inside his own head because he hasn't had to work with other artists, other edi- uh, any editors or anything for years. So he's kind of been stuck and like just surrounded with friends and like uh, and fans telling him that he's the greatest and everything he does is fucking awesome. And he hasn't had to like deal with other people like, uh, you know, with changing trends and people saying, well, you know, uh, well, you know, actually, I think uh, this would be a better idea. And that just can kind of lead to creators just sort of thinking that it's like they're the hot shit and they're the experts of all of all like culture, basically. To Larson's credit, he has denounced the likes of Comicsgate and even Ethan Van Skyver, who mm-hmm. it, I don't know, know if Larson like have noticed the com- parallels between themselves and Comicsgate, who are famously striking out on their own to start their own largely Kickstarter funded books to stick it to the industry. And by industry, they mean women and minorities. And, and Mark Wade. Yeah. And also famously all their older work coming out super late. Uh, oh yeah. Like Ethan Van Skyver is even worse than Liefeld with deadlines. But what, but Liefeld- It is also just kind of comparable in the sense that when you look at so many comic gators, like not just the big figures, but a lot of their, a lot of their followers, they are intensely obsessed with like this era of comic books because many that's, was their entry into comic books. And well, I often think of like a, a thing G. Willow Wilson said uh, when she was talking about the research she had to do for writing Wonder Woman, how when she read Wonder Woman comics, they were uh, from the 90s, they were largely apolitical and largely fantasy stories. And, you know, I think that's at least somewhat accurate for a lot of these like uh, Marvel comics in the 90s, because, I mean, whenever they did mention politics, it was often just for aesthetics. Like, oh, the first issue of Young Blood, they killed not Saddam Hussein, but like they don't make any like canny like uh, discussion about American imperialism or interventionism. It's just, oh, hey, look, like uh, this character crushed Saddam Hussein's head. Isn't that wicked? It's more that Rob Liefeld's ideology expressed by his work broadly lines up with American imperialism, just that he's not bright enough to articulate it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, he at least knows that going full MAGA would be career suicide for such a career as he has at this point. Yeah. And he's done, he's tweeted about bitching about woke comics. He's even done tweets that he later deleted, like about how 
I don't like Trump, but maybe a border wall would be good for us. And ooh, ultimately, I just wonder: can we do better than this? Like, is the promise of Image Comics of giving that freedom back to the creators it possible? And it seems like the the comic book workers union, which of course is production staff and not creators, is the best for, first step towards that. And I do know there is now talk of uh, because the, uh, the the only reason why there isn't like a like a comic book writers guild or artist guild is that just basically the way that the existing like uh, entertainment industry guilds define like uh, define like particular works like they just haven't gotten around to really like uh, figuring out how you define like writing or drawing for a comic book like uh, where exactly that would fit within the existing structure of uh, guilds so it's more or less just trying to work an exact definition before anyone can really like actually start organizing at least yeah. that's my understanding of the situation yeah, but I'm reading through the Comic Book Workers Union's page, and of their demands, the one that got the most controversy on social media from all the wrong people was a collective voting option to immediately cancel publication any of any title whose creators have been found to engage in abuse, sexual assault, racism, xenophobia, etc., which yeah like I, I i try i try to limit my contact with like the chuddier parts of the internet these days but if I, I imagine like a lot of the usual suspects like kind of glomped on that like, like a lot of the people who glomped on like the Bl uh, activision blizzard walkout like uh, focusing on feminist issues and just like talking about that specifically so they don't have to acknowledge like the elephants in the room yeah it makes make perfect sense for me, especially since these workers are literally the means of production. They shouldn't have to publish comics that have all these terrible things, what, especially not when they're at the levers where they can stop them from being published. And that's, that seems like a great measure for accountability that the comic industry just yeah, like, especially have. considering there uh, there's that like recent there's that recent uh, Netflix press release that came or not press release but it was like a uh, someone uh, who worked at uh, Netflix revealed that like part of the sign up or information they give you when you uh, agree to work for Netflix is saying now one of the things you have to, to agree to is that you're going to inevitably work on the production that you think is a uh, is pushing a harmful idea yeah the marketplace pretending that like all ideas are guaranteed equal and if it's a harmful idea it's still just as valid as a non-harmful idea and we can't possibly arbitrate that with... at least if that idea ha uh, can make you profit yeah at the very best that sounds like a very west wing liberal interpretation of how politics functions Mm -hmm. where like you just come up with like the best argument and that will be the determiner of what what everyone agrees to as opposed to like 
something that needs a conscious struggle to determine what ideas take hold and the fact that even if you don't you don't like telling people what to do sometimes you do have to fight to push your ideas over other ideas if those other ideas are hurting people the actual material costs of this yeah and when and you know you ironically have the most like possible leverage when you're at like the uh like uh the when you basically are the ones like pulling the levers uh, for this stuff like famously what finally what finally stopped the government shutdown a few years ago was the, uh, was all the air traffic controllers threatening to go on strike if like uh the if the thing wasn't passed and that's what finally got a budget passed i thought that was all part of nancy pelosi's eight dimensional chess game well uh I mean, oh, and uh, I guess I just sort of wanted to bring uh, bring this up because uh, the thing that uh, helped push me to do my blog article about uh, about the image workers union is that I remember one of the memes that was going around in response to image not recognizing the union was, you know, kind of one of those before and after kind of memes. You know, you have the photo of like the image founders uh, at the time saying it's like, yeah, workers rights. And then like it's now it's like, oh, screw the workers. and the thing was that kind of annoyed me because it implied that image was ever uh, about workers rights because as we've mentioned technically they weren't legally considered workers under under the explicit uh, under the like most legalistic definition but also i doubt any of those people saw themselves as workers you know well it's like the superstar artist label goes they saw themselves uh, as like cool like artists who are at the head of their game and not like seeing themselves like from a uh, from like a labor focused perspective which is why image uh, was still albeit a, a, a largely decentralized so to make uh, to make like uh, the profits among the creative staff uh, like a more uh, more fair than in more traditional style publishers uh, still working under a corporate structure and the kind of like assumptions about it if it was about workers rights image wouldn't be a corporation it would be a commune or, or a co-op or something yeah it so ultimately since we're at the socialism or barbarism period of history with the unionization push across the country amongst as well as else other countries forgive my chauvinism offering some actual hope in these times this this all kind of serves to be a good time to start asking ourselves like what do we want really want like what can we get what's the best thing we can get for everyone and to actually think about what we're doing and think about it as a collective since the image guys are very much the american model of individual entrepreneurism and as well the kind of silicon valley model since they all not coincidentally all struck out west and had their like new coloring computer techniques when they launched yeah they were the kind of move fast and break things guys but they never really cared about whose things they were breaking 
Yeah, which included like the livelihoods of uh, of several comic store owners and uh, uh, people in the industry. Yeah, and it's not enough to accept the that this is the best we can do, not for society and not even for art and the way art is produced. But that having said that, I'm not going to pretend that I know the answers to that. I don't know it, exactly what the right way forward is, just that I don't trust high status individuals saying that they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, to uh, pull from uh, from the uh, the legendary uh, organizers at the uh, International Workers of the World, uh, the the difference between uh, a boss and a worker is: uh, do you have firing power, and uh, you know the ability you know that you have people under you that you can basically just like can their ass, uh, uh, can their ass if uh, uh, if you the mood strikes you more or less. And uh, I would definitely say that a lot uh, that the Image founders definitely had some firing power uh, at Image. Definitely. Yeah there was even amongst themselves like they were gonna cut cut rob liefeld out of image in the mid 90s he ultimately left before they could in a richard nixon move but it yeah it, it, the whole thing is just uh, well before we go all right is there anything you want to plug? Any new blog writing you're working on? Uh, well, uh, since the last time we talked, I, I did actually post uh, uh, a blog uh, about uh, the trucker protests here in Ottawa, specifically uh, the different like symbols of the Canadian far right and their particularly their flags and what they sort of symbolize and what uh, sort uh, sort of means. Uh, I'm rather proud of that one. Uh, I've been a little bit behind just because of uh, personal uh, issues that happened over the last couple of weeks, but uh, I am in the uh, in the middle of uh, working on a uh, on another uh, another blog post uh, another blog post about yeah, sorry uh, my mind's a bit of a blank but uh, uh, about well I think I was actually talking about this the last time I was on the podcast which is kind of embarrassing but about about how uh, uh, how in recent years there has been a very terrible there's been a very like a terrible precedent of trying to use like uh, being autistic as a way for a lot of like uh, ma of uh, mass uh, far right mass shooters to try and like get off Scott three as sort of an insanity defense kind of plea and how uh, how like dehumanizing that is to autistic people right well, I look forward to that, but take your time with it. And thank you for coming on and bringing me back. And if anyone listening to this has any ideas they want to come with to me with to discuss or works they want to promote, let me know and I can find I can make the time for it. So thank you, Radical Writer. Oh, I was happy to come back. <laughs>